This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. the first episode of the emerald flow show it's a show dedicated to all japan pro wrestling noah and beyond in japanese pro wrestling we're part of the voices of wrestling podcasting network i'm gerard detrolio and i'm here with paul vosh paul how are you doing today i'm doing fine doing fine gerard i'm sitting here in uh, lovely berlin germany in a terrible january as january's mostly are here but otherwise i'm doing fine yeah the weather has gotten pretty bad here in sort of like southern ontario as well it's just been like really crushingly below zero and like uh one of the bigger stores snowstorms we've had in the last few years so i'm looking to get my mind off of all that and talk some wrestling um before we begin getting into the recent shows from all japan and noah uh just sort of guess get us starting off um we have someone to thank that sort of helped you know bring together the show and played a major role in the formation of it. And you wanted to start with that, Paul? Yeah, of course. So we would first like to uh, thank one uh, John Carroll. The Well, it's not really correct to call them the former host of Wrestling Omakase because the show is just on a, hi- on a hiatus. But basically, I mean, we've both been regular guests on John's show, and I think we've both enjoyed it greatly. And I think partially it kind of gave us the inspiration to start doing the show as well. And it's just kind of now that the show is on hiatus, uh, there was kind of a void left, basically, uh, that uh, we kind of wanted to. But I think we probably would have done something like this at some point down down the line anyway. I think this just kind of gave us the kind of kick in the ass that we kind of needed to get the show started. Uh, But yeah, uh, I reached out to John uh, before I even asked you, Gerard, to do the show and to just make sure that we're not stepping on any toes and everything since John is just on hiatus and John very much gave their blessing and we just want to like thank John for like all the work that they've done over the years but I think one thing that I also made very clear when I reached out as well is that like I don't want this show existing to be a reason for John to not come back like I don't want to give John an excuse to not have Omakase come back because I very much still want Omakase to come back. Yes, definitely. We'll love to see Omakase back sooner rather than later. And thank you so much, John, for everything. So as we go in, uh, we have some obviously big news coming out of January 23rd in all Japan. We have a new uh, Triple Crown champion. But before we go into that show, uh, we should talk about the events leading up to the fact that the Triple Crown was vacant. Uh, Jake Lee uh 
broke his nose and his or- orbital bone in a match against uh, Raiki Honda on December 26th in Shinkiba first ring. And that caused him, he's going to have to miss some time. I don't have a timeline on it, but it'll probably be several weeks more longer he'll be out. Uh, and so the title was vacant. And the second uh, vacant Triple Crown uh, time it was vacated in the last uh, little while, because again, you remember back in June, uh, Suwama got COVID and had to vacate like a week or so before the big show at Oda Ward Gym. So there's been some bad luck luck on the Triple Crown front lately. And I think to start off, we should probably talk about, Paul, what did you think of Jake Lee's first Triple Crown reign? Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I have somewhat mixed feelings about it. I think overall, I think it was, I had maybe higher expectations for the rain, I guess. It was a little bit unremarkable. Like, I can't really remember anything that I really hated during the rain, but there also wasn't really anything in it that, like, kind of blew me away. And I think it also kind of ended at the worst possible moment. Like, he was just going to have to match against Abby, which I don't know how good that one would have been, to be quite honest. But I think after that, there probably was going to be kind of a lot more intriguing matchups coming up for him because I did expect him to hold the title for like quite a while longer, probably even all the way up to the anniversary show later in the year. But yeah, I don't know, like just the rain as it is, to me, is just, I think the best way to describe it is meh overall. Like it didn't really blow me away. Like, did you like it more than that? Uh, no, I would be similar. I was thinking about this before we were recording, a couple hours before recording, and I was like, well, if I had to give this a letter grade, I'd give it a C minus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought from the 60-minute draw in October on, he seemed to be a little more confident. Uh, some of Jake's mannerisms have been uh, controversial, to say the least, uh, with his like laughing and his smirking and everything like that. I thought it certainly improved, but... You know, I don't have any evidence, though, that this was like a giant bomb of all time bomb title reigns in wrestling at all. But I don't have any evidence that it was some success, even a mild one. So I feel confident in giving this a C minus. And, you know, I don't know, though, if he's going to be I think he's going to be getting in the title picture again this year. But I don't know if he's going to be triple crown champion again, at least for a while. Yeah, no, like I I think his role when he comes back is probably going to be like in kind of an upper mid-card gatekeeper kind of role where he's like the guy that you have to overcome to get a title match basically so but i don't think like i don't think he's going to be like right back in a title picture though i could like it depends what they want to do at the anniversary show right i mean i would my assumption was that the plan was to do jake versus kento there and have kento beat him for the title I mean, obviously, that's not really going to happen now. And I don't think if Jake as the challenger on that show has the same kind of impact. Right. And I think probably the next best thing to fill Jake's time is, I think him and Honda should go after the world tag titles. Yeah, I think that actually would have been an excellent solution as well. Because I think, and I mean, we're going to talk about that a bit later, like Honda definitely has gotten a massive elevation on the show alone and just in general. So I think both of them going after the tag titles probably would be like an excellent solution whenever he's ready to come back, which 
I don't really know what the time frame is on that kind of orbital bone injury. Uh, I, well, in terms of timeline, I wouldn't be surprised if the March Oda Ward gym show is Jake versus Kento, actually, uh, because I don't know what other kind of match you could put there again. Uh, that would be big. Maybe Ashino versus Jake, but uh, I don't know. But I think that's something to sort of think about going forward that could definitely happen. So let's go to the show on the 23rd itself. Uh, it was at Corican Hall, and it drew, uh, I guess you could say, I think this might be a little disappointing number, although it was a Sunday morning at 11.30 a.m. show, 536 fans, which is down from the over 700 that they both did um, on January 2nd and 3rd. And you would think, you know, with the tournament, um, would be a big deal. So I don't know what those, that numbers means, but it might be something to keep your eye on. Um, so I think we might as well start with the first tournament on the sh tournament match on the show that opened the show. Uh, Kento Miyahara beat Suwama in 11:28 uh, with an inside cradle. Uh, for my money, I actually think that this was the weakest uh, Kento versus Suwama match I've ever seen. Like, and I'm including all of the other sort of matches that they have in tournaments because they have like a tournament formula where they sort of go out there and have like a quick greatest hits match it's usually decent like a three and a half three and three quarter match ends with you know 15 minutes or less i thought this started off fine but then they just sort of went into the end and then they tried to roll each other up and kento got it so for my money it was one of the weakest you know matches from them i've ever seen paul what do you think of it yeah no this very much just felt like a match that they had because they needed to have because they made this tournament. So Kento and Suwama had to have a match and it didn't really feel like either man's heart was really in it. Like it very much just felt like both of them wanted to just like go in and get out as quick as they reasonably could. And so yeah, they basically just started playing the greatest hits and then they just kind of stopped and just finished the match. Like it's like very much after the match was over, it was just like, well, this, this was just a whole bunch of nothing and just a match that happened on the card. And the second match on the show was the second uh, tournament semifinal in what I will still call an upset, although one I think most people saw coming. Uh, Ryuki Honda beat Shotaro Ashino in nine minutes and 15 seconds with the uh, final event, which you may see translated some places as the final event, but the <laughs> proper translation is actually final event. Uh, I like this. Uh, you know, for what it was for a nine-minute little opener, uh, you know, Ashino dominant early, and then Honda made his big comeback and, and finished Ashino off uh, with the final event, which is, I guess, how would you call it? Like, sort of like a shot put slam type move, I guess? It's even more because he gets him up even higher than, because he holds them up there as well. Yeah, I guess the closest one would be a shot put slam. It's maybe kind of a variation of it, because I think the most famous shot put slam right now is like King Shimizu. Is that his name? I don't know. He changes it. Like, no, it's Big Boss Shimizu. Like, changes this every goddamn like month. Um, so like, he's probably like the other like notable like user of the shot put slam. And like, I, but his looks like very different than that version. Like, Honda just kind of keeps the guy up there, I think, for much longer as well. But it is a great looking finisher. And like, I have some notes on that when we get to the main event as well. And so what do you think of the match overall? So I actually really liked the match overall. Like, I think the booking was very good. Like, I saw some people complaining. It's like, oh, they just tried, signed Ashino, and then they, like, job him out here to, like, this young guy. And I was like, this hurts him way less than it would him just losing another Triple Crown Challenge, to be honest. 
And at the same time, you put over Honda huge because he, like, not only did he, like, be the guy that is, like, credibly, like, one of the upper guys in the promotion, but he also beat, like, a currently reigning champion as well. Like, he beat one half of the tag team champions. That's a massive scalp for someone that was, like, in, like, young boy black tights at the beginning of the month. So, like, this is, like, a really big win for him, and I don't think, like, it really hurts Ashino. Like, he can just easily recover from this, and people aren't, like, people are going to remember that Honda won much more than they are going to remember that Ashino lost. Whereas if Ashino had just won here and then lost in the main event, then people would remember that Ashino lost another Triple Crown match. Absolutely agree with you 100%. And I think that Ashino's going to get lots of opportunities to shine because I think, you know, Runaway Suplex is going to hold those tag titles for a while. Uh, so let's jump ahead uh, to the main event and then we'll work from there, work back down the card. Uh, Kento Miyahara defeated uh, Ryuki Honda in 23 minutes and three seconds with the shutdown German suplex to become the 65th Triple Crown champion. Um, I thought this was really good. I don't think you can say that it was on the level of, you know, Kento's epic run back front in like 2018, 2019. Uh, but this was a very good first outing for a main event from, I have to remember, Honda's only 21 years old. So uh, by all of the metrics that I think when you're giving this guy his first big main event, title shot, everything like that, I think it was a hit. Honda looked, you know, quite powerful in the match, had some great near falls over Kento. I'd criticize the fact that Kento kicked out of the final event. I think that's a move yeah. that you could have protected a lot more. But other than that, you know, mission accomplished in elevating Honda in this. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, no. I mean, first of all, I need to absolutely agree with you there. Like, that's one of the big notes that I took is, like, he shouldn't have kicked out of the final event. Uh, or rather, well, I mean, I, I don't mean by that that Kento should have lost. It's just that Honda shouldn't have hit it on Kento. I don't think anyone should have been able to kick out of uh, Honda's finisher for, like, a long while. Like, that's a finisher that I think you should protect. Like, it should just absolutely kill everyone that gets hit by it for and that way you build it up as this big thing that like when someone finally kicks out of it like i mean i guess you can still do that but that first kick out from the move has now happened and it has happened like the first time he has been put in a big spot so like I'm, but really that is my only major complaint i have for the match like otherwise i was i thought the match was really kind of as perfectly laid out as it can be at this stage i mean obviously honda is still kind of green so like there is a bit of a limit on how good of a match it could have been but I think it was perfectly laid out Kento was kind of the best guy to do this as well because he just walked Honda through like the basic Kento triple crown match structure and just perfectly let him along just he gave him a lot as well like he really let him show his power while also not getting dominated by him as well and I think that's really important because while Honda is kind of a powerhouse guy, he is still very young and he is just barely out of his young boy stage. So he shouldn't be dominating the ace of the promotion. So I think they kind of balanced those aspects really well, where like Honda got to show his power while not being dominant. And it still showed that like Kento is still just a step ahead of him. Like he's just still better than him. Honda may have potential, but Kento's the guy. And at the end of the day, Kento's just going to go beat Honda when he needs to, which is what he did here. 
So I think it was really well done and it's still like massively elevated Honda because I'm trying to think who else at like this stage of his career and like at his age would have been getting a triple crown shot. Like I'm the only one that I can really, like there's probably other people as well, but the only one that I could think of off the top of my head was uh, Drew Nakayama as like the super rookie. Like he would be about the only one that I would think, yeah, maybe him and Suwama are like the only people that would have gotten like triple crown shots at this stage of his career. I don't think Honda is like, on that level, but it's still kind of remarkable that he like gets these opportunities this early. And Honda at 21 would have debuted and gotten the title shots at, um, at an age younger than either Akiyama or Suwama. Akiyama debuted, I think at like 23 and Suwama was, I want to say like 27 or 28 when he debuted. So, you know, he's quite young too. He might be the youngest triple crown challenger yeah. regardless of actually how long they've been in the business i'm trying to think when yuma's first triple crown challenge was because he's also still i would have been in in um february 2020 okay so no then he was definitely because he's 25 now so he would have been like 23 ish at that stage yeah so honda might may very well be the youngest person to ever challenge for the triple crown just very impressive Absolutely. And should note, uh, with this victory, Kento Miyahara is now a five-time Triple Crown champion, tying him with, for number two with Mitsuharu Misawa and Toshiaki Kawada, who both had five reigns, and, but they're still behind Suwama, who's had seven, and hopefully will remain at seven. Um, I guess maybe if, uh, like, uh, I don't know if, how we want to do it for maybe for like match ratings, because I generally only ever rate matches if they're at four stars or above, and I when I actually, when I looked back over everything, I was like, this is a four-star match to me. It is just barely a four-star match, but it is like I still ended up really like coming away and really, really liking it. Yeah, I would have gone about, I had it at three and three quarters. Very good. It's not quite like epic or anything like that. But I mean, given what Honda, you know, experienced and everything and what they were trying to do, they still, I think they hit it out of the park. Okay, so we'll go and look at the semi-main event. This was for the PWF World Junior Heavyweight title. Uh, Sugi, the champion, defeated Rising Hayato in 12 minutes and 19 seconds with the Swan Dive Firebird Splash. That's Sugi's first defense of his second title reign with the junior title. And uh, I got to say, uh, this and this was Hayato's first ever uh, challenge for the title, uh, since he sort of officially joined the company with a contract this January. Um, look, I was expecting a little more from this. I actually thought it was pretty good at points, but, and I feel really bad for him, but there was quite a few noticeable botches here from Hayato. And it just makes me feel for the guy who had this big moment, had new gear and everything, but he botched. And so, I don't know. I mean, it's like maybe a three-star match or something around there. They had some cool moments like a, uh, Falcon arrow off the apron onto the ground that he hit on Sugi, but just couldn't get over the botches to really get into it. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, I think it was fine. Um, but it was also kind of forgettable. It was the kind of match where like moments, like basically moments of the match left my brain as I was watching the rest of the match. And like those are always the like the worst ones to kind of like take notes or review later. Like if, like I'm sure like you've encountered that type of match as well like when reviewing all japan in the written reviews where it's just like 
you're trying to take notes for the match, but like then you just look at it when the match is over and it's like you have like three lines basically and then they're all kind of really basic and then you need to like make a review out of that. So and that, that's kind of the kind of match it was for me. And I think maybe for Hayato, it's like, because previously he was just kind of always in like lower card matches and this was really kind of his first big match, like his first big singles match to kind of really show what he can do. And I think what I need to say about Hayato so far is like he has good fundamentals. Like I think there is like a lot of, he has like a good base that he can build upon, but also right now he doesn't really excel at anything either. Like there's nothing that I can really point to where I'm like, yeah, this is something that Rising Hayato is like really, really good at. Like he's just okay at the moment. Like I think he's definitely someone that I can see also just kind of staying at this kind of level. But also like he also could be someone that if he just finds like that switch that he needs to flip, that could become like really, really good down the line. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think he will improve. I don't think he's going to be junior ace or anything, but I think he might end up one day becoming junior champion, all Asia tag champion. There'll be, I think there'll be a, if he can improve more from where he's at, there'll be a like a solid place for him in the company moving forward. Yeah, no, definitely. It's just, I mean, like I mean, he's signed now and everything, so obviously he's gonna stick around for the long term. It's just there is also very much the possibility that he just kind of ends up in like black mansory purgatory forever. Okay, and so our next match, um, I'm laughing when I want to talk about this, but it's certainly uh, a hilarious match on many levels. We had a one versus three handicap match uh, where it's Yoshitatsu uh, against his... over the All-Asia Tag Title match there. Oh, sorry. Yep, you're right. Um, next match was the All-Asia Tag Team titles. Hokuto Omori and Yusuke Kodama defeated... Izanagi and Devil Murasaki of Purple Haze in 8:35 when Omori pinned Murasaki with the Muso Isin. Um, this had a couple moments that looked good. I thought Omori looked good. The Total Eclipse team wasn't doing any bullshit. They've really toned that down, which is great. But it's a Devil Murasaki match, so there's a ceiling on it. I will say that at least Omori got put over strong. Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've been a big fan of Mori ever since he turned heel because uh, he's just an amazing shit talker. He just exudes that douchebag energy. Like, I think he really, like, I think they have something with him. Uh, I don't know if he really has, like, the size to ever become a heavyweight. But at the very least, like, he's going to be, like, a mainstay in the junior division for a long, long time. And he's going to have, like, a big run with the title sooner rather than later, I would say. Um, the match itself, yeah, I mean, it was fine. Like, you had, like, some spots from Purple Haze, like Devil kind of dragging Omori under the ring and then tying Kodama to the railing. And then, like, later then when you have, like, Kodama dragging Izanagi, like, to, like, the back of Korokan Hall and, like, tying him to the railing, like, in the, uh, in the upper quarters there. And, like, it was fine. It was just a lot of shtick and just an overall a fine match. I mean, it makes sense as like a first defense for the Total Eclipse team, but I hope they like get something more substantial down the line. And yeah, I don't know. I, I also could see a little less of Devil Murasaki going forward. That that would be great. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have a feeling that he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and the thing with Omori is, you know, if he was in Noah, I actually think he'd have better heavyweight prospects than in a company like All Japan. Yeah, because he is probably a, like 
what's how tall is he? He's listed at five ten. Yeah, what's that in centimeters? <laughs> one hundred and seventy-seven. I think he's listed at. Or oh, so he's actually taller than Keno. Yeah, so he's taller yeah. than Keno. So yeah, in that case, he probably could easily be a heavyweight in Noah. Because if Keno can be a heavyweight in Noah, then he would definitely be able to be one. Then yeah. And the next match, which I was so eagerly awaited for, I almost skipped over the previous match. We had the uh, Yoshitatsu Kingdom explodes. Uh, one-on-three handicap, one-versus-three handicap match. Yoshitatsu versus Takayuki Ueki, Sego Tachibane, and Balian Aki went to a no contest in five minutes and 53 seconds when Kazuma Sakamoto interfered. Uh, this was sort of unexpected, and I will say for the match, not nearly as horrendous as I thought. That's not meaning it's was a good match or anything. I'm, it just wasn't like something that made me want to claw my eyeballs at, but at least we got a angle with a very cool wrestler that I was hoping after the real world tag league last year, we were going to see more in all Japan. And it looks like that's happening. Paul, what was your reaction to this? Yeah. I mean, I thought it wasn't really much of a match. It was more of an angle. Like it's like they just kind of beat up on Yoshitatsu early. And then for some reason they went back in the ring and then Yoshitatsu actually kind of dominated him for a little bit and he actually almost got the win when Kazma interfered uh, but I mean I agree that I'm actually very happy to see Kazma be a regular going forward in all Japan because I've been a big, big fan of uh, Kazma Sakamoto ever since his recent uh, Dragon Gate run because when he joined Dragon Gate I was like Kazma Sakamoto I don't know if that's going to work and then he just blew me away for that entire run and he's just been like one of the best guys on the indie scene uh, in Japan since then so I'm definitely very happy that he's back. I'm actually wondering if that means that maybe Kengo Mashemo is also kind of going to be a bit more regularly back going forward, or if he's going to like join this new faction, this new heel faction of Sakamoko, Tachibana, Ueki, and Aki. So, and I mean, I guess we're going to get a Tatsu food feud with Kazma out of this. And I mean, I'm all in favor of that if it keeps Tatsu out of the kind of upper echelons of the card as well so if it just keeps him out of any kind of like real title mix i'm all in favor of that so if kazma just can keep him busy down card then that's great and i'm sure kazma can actually drag something like probably can probably drag something decent out of that so like he's just that good i'm also interested in seeing kind of heal bali and aki as well because I've only seen him in Gato Move as just like a big baby face. I'm, I wonder how he's going to adapt to like having to play the heel as well. But I think really, Gerard, the most important question coming out of this match, and I think that is really burning kind of under the skin of every All Japan fan, of every wrestling fan in general, because it is just about the most important tag, uh, the most important title in all of wrestling. And we really need to clear it up now is does this mean that the all japan six-man tag titles are now vacant that's an excellent question uh paul uh well nothing formally has been announced nor has there been any uh six-man title matches booked for any of the upcoming shows in february or in january at all i think because carbell ito is out with an injury the whole impetus for those existence of those titles has basically fallen apart and it would not shock me Although I don't know for sure. This is just pure speculation. It would not shock me if these titles were abandoned. I mean, I could see that happen. I mean, Tatsu came out with the belt as well and his uh, Corona International title as well because Yoshitatsu loves Corona. Uh, so 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, it doesn't really feel like a Tatsu move to, like, give up a belt because that man just loves bringing out any kind of random belt that he holds. But, I mean, that kind of would be, like, a good way to, like, settle the feud, I guess, if Tatsu, like, just has to go and find, like, new partners now that his old partners have abandoned him. He can probably find some people, like, down the card that he can, like, scrape up and, like, try and have a title match with. I was going to say, this is very Noah-like booking. <laughs> I can just, look... Black Mansa Ray isn't doing and Black Mansa Ray and Takao Mori ain't doing anything important. I'm sure they can like convince him to do to have a six man tag title match. Yeah, and uh, getting back onto the topic of Kazma, I really think they need to think about putting him in a triple crown match against Kento because there is a huge dearth of fresh matchups for Kento, and that would be one that would be great and new. And you also don't really burn off a big match because while I love Kasma, he isn't really like a big draw either. So like that's a kind of a match that you can kind of burn on kind of a random show, basically. Like you can still draw based on the fact that it's a Kento title match and it's going to be like really, really good as well. Because yeah, as I said, I love Kasma and I think him and Kento could have a great match. And I actually hope that this means that Kasma is going to be in a champion carnival as well. Yes, that's a very good point. You would think that, especially doing it this time of the year, only, well, we're about two months and a bit away, two and a half months away. So, yeah, you got to be thinking about that. And they're going to need outsiders for the champion carnival, uh, especially this year. Um, next up, we have the team of Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi representing Total Eclipse, beating the Aoyagi brothers, Yuma Aoyagi and Atsuki Aoyagi in 833 when um, Doi pinned uh atsuki after a murder lariat um this match sort of played out exactly how i thought it was a lot of fun you know uh doi and arashi were dominant and they got the win and they uh got on the mic and challenged for the world tag titles because they have a victory a count of victory over a runaway suplex in the semifinals of the real world tag league so it looked from this when this match was announced that this was going to be setting all of this up and that happened uh, what do you think of the match yeah i i think the match was fine and as you said played out exactly like i expected to like once it was announced it was clear that atsuki was kind of going to be taking the fall here i mean it's really like you're not going to pin yuma here and kumadoi was going to get built up for a title match so like you had to have someone take the loss here and so it is going to be the younger brother and also the one that is a junior heavyweight and not a heavyweight take the fall match itself was fine but like the only thing that i actually found weird about the booking is that because aoya like uh, atsuki Aoyagi actually came out after the junior yeah we forgot match. to mention that yeah um, he came out junior after title match he and andy Wu both came out to sort of challenge um sugi and well, given that All Japan sort of books, and there's more to say about the booking of the company, logically enough that the guy who did the job isn't getting the next title. They announced on February 5th in Osaka, it will be Sugi versus Andy Wu for the junior title. But it's clear that uh, Atsuki Aoyagi is probably going to be facing the winner of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely like, he to me is like the next guy in the junior division. Like he's going to be the next person to carry that division now that uh, Iwamoto uh, is gone. So it makes, like, it was just weird that he came out at that time as well after he lost early in the card. I was very confused when that happened and then it became a little bit clearer when Andy Wu came out. But I think maybe another thing that was a little bit of note at least about this match is 
I had a feeling that they were actually teasing a little bit of descent between Kuma Doi. Because Doi actually hit Kuma with a lariat uh, in one of the spots, and Kuma also pointed it out in the post-match. Like, I don't really expect them to break up the team, but I think it still was like a spot that is that was of note. It would not shock me if they ended up splitting up Total Eclipse now that they have like Honda in the mix at some point. But I don't, I don't really see that happening, nor do I think they necessarily need to do that either. So it could just be something they're playing out. I'm pretty sure that they've like had that issue before too in some of their matches where they'll accidentally hit each other. So it seems might might, might even just be an on-running gag thing. I mean, yeah, maybe. But I mean, hey, they've broken up before. So, but no one remembers that because that happened in Wrestle One. So. Yes, I believe that when Doi entered All Japan, the last time that he was seen, he was feuding with the members of Enfant. Yeah, I, I, I had a bit of a rant about that in the, in the Voice of Wrestling Discord, where I, I did very much complain about the fact, I mean, I know it's a different promotion, but still it was kind of weird to have like Koji Doi kind of join Enfant's Terribles. When literally his entire shtick in Wrestle One was him being the guy that fights Anfans Terribles, and he won the tag belts from uh, Anfans Terribles on one of the last shows of Wrestle One, where he uh, won them from Ashino and Kodama, and it was, and then for him to join All Japan and then just join Anfans was just like this, literally this guy's whole gimmick was like not being in this faction and being the guy that fights this faction all the time. And yeah, and I mean, the reason Kumarashi is Kumarashi is because he turned on Koji Doi, because he was Kumagoro beforehand, and then he renamed himself Kumarashi after he turned on Doi. So, but like, I mean, look, that's long in the past now, and like, I've definitely gotten over that, but I guess it was good to get it out of my system at least. Yeah, I think, I think like the Kuma Doi team works in all Japan well and should be kept around really. Um, so, uh, to, we go to the next match, which was, which was the third match on the show in the first non-tournament match. It was a 10-man tag. Uh, Shuji Ishikawa, Takao Mori, Black Menso Rei, Andy Wu, and Ryo Inoue defeated Dan Tamara, Shigihiro Irie, Ren Ayabe, Kazumasa Yoshida, and Takato Nakano in the 904 when uh, Wu pinned Tamara with the Yoshi Tonic. Now, my first reaction with this is that uh, the team with the rookie, in a way, did not lose here. Although, obviously, you know, this all was part of the story. You know, give Wu a win to set up uh, challenging Sugi later. Um, you know, I thought this was fine for what it was. It was just a 10-man tag. Everyone in and out real quick, um, hitting their spots. Uh, I thought uh, Ayabe here, he looked better. This is only the second time I've seen Ayabe. And I thought he looked better here than his first go around in all Japan uh, earlier this month. And I think he's someone that they have their eye on because he's going to be uh, teaming with Suji Ishikawa again on a February show in Korokin. And um, the only other thing I will say coming out of this match that matters is um, also Yoshida, if you're not familiar with him, he's a young boy in a big Japan. And I think coming out of this from what I can see uh, on social media, uh, Nakano, who is from Basara, sounds like him and Isami Kodaka are going to be challenging um, Omori and Kodama next for the All Asia Tag Titles, which I think could be a really fun match. Anyway, what were your thoughts here? Yeah. I mean, I was really surprised that 
Dan took the fall here. I mean, as you said, like, I mean, the like Yoshida could have also been like, I mean, I get not dropping out Ayabe because of his size, but like Yoshida is right there. Like, why is Dan the guy taking the fall here? Like, it was that that one weirded me out a little bit. But I mean, otherwise, the match was fine. And I think Ayabe actually looked really, really good for someone who has like basically no experience. I think he actually has a ton of potential like if he actually manages to work well to his size and everything i mean tall wrestlers like him always can like if they can overcome their like their early kind of awkwardness they can become really good and i think he could be someone that would be able to do that but i mean he's obviously very much still a work in progress yeah, and I think given the way that uh, Abby's from Just Tap Out, which is Taka Michinoku's little, like, basically school slash promotion, given the way that that works, you know, I mean, it, it would not shock me if Abby is eventually brought into All Japan at some point. Yeah. Okay, so that's everything for the All Japan January 23rd Corican Hall show. Before we go to the next show, sometimes when I'm sitting there and watching multiple shows back to back, I like to put a meal in between them. And so, you know, when I'm thinking of a meal, sometimes I'm thinking I got to put something together quick. And so I'm thinking of HelloFresh. And so what is HelloFresh? Well, with HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Uh, HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week. So you get convenience without skimping on quality. Skip the trip to the grocery store, saving you the wait in long holiday lines and ensuring you don't waste money on excess food. Um, HelloFresh Hello cuts back on time spent in the kitchen so you can spend it on your other resolutions with meals ready in about 30 minutes or less. Plus quick and easy meals, including 20 minute recipes and low prep and easy cleanup options provide an even faster route to putting on the table. And as we were saying earlier, Paul, you and I both experiencing some winter weather. So, you know, making that trip out to the grocery store, not always fun. So you can get it delivered to your door. And uh, me, someone who has a bad habit of eating out a lot, you know, something like HelloFresh is really handy because it's, HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save on average over $65 per month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. That's more money to put towards those other 2022 20, goals of yours. You know, 65 bucks would cover a lot of different streaming services for a number of wrestling promotions. So, you know, that's something that I could definitely put somewhere else. And so go to HelloFresh.com slash V-O-W-16 and use code V-O-W-16, that's all one word, for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. So that is HelloFresh.com slash V-O-W-16 and use the code word V-O-W-1-6, all one word, for those 16 free meals and three gifts. Don't remember, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. And so with that, you know, once you've made yourself a nice little meal, you might want to put it on the next show. So we head over to Pro Wrestling Noah Higher Ground 2022. Um, this took place in uh, Sendai, I believe. Nope, sorry, it was Osaka, Eddie, I was mixing that up with the other recent Noah show. That was in, it's in Osaka, Eddie on Arena number two at 456 fans. Uh, now that's 
that was called the super vacancy no house and i think that is probably around what you're able to get in eddie on arena number two these days um i guess before we get into the show uh much like the all japan show we just talked about this show had uh, vacant titles going into that so paul did you want to explain the situation of the ghc junior heavyweight tag team titles Yep, so in this case, uh, Yoshinari, uh, the champions previously were Hayata and Yoshinari Ogawa. And unfortunately, Yoshinari Ogawa caught COVID. Uh, he is fully vaccinated and he seems to be doing better, but it also seems like well, he's a bit of an older guy, so it seems like it actually still hit him a bit harder as well because they had to vacate the titles. And it isn't quite sure yet when he will be back, but I am confident that he will be coming back as well. I think maybe what, what's interesting about that vaca- uh, about them vacating those titles is that it also seemed like they were very close to breaking up the Hayata and Ogawa team, because Ogawa and Hayata actually had a singles match uh, for the uh, GHC Junior uh, title match at the start of the year on the New Year's Eve show, uh, on the New Year's Day show. And uh, in the post-match, Ogawa refused to shake uh, Hayata's hand and even left his half of the junior tag title in the ring. Now, when they actually did have a junior tag title match uh, uh, soon afterwards, they didn't really play on that kind of dissension anymore. But I could still very much see that having been a thing that they bring back when they actually lose the title. So I'm curious how they're going to handle that story now that they can't do it anymore uh, when they lose the titles. So I guess maybe that might be something that they do when Ogawa actually uh, comes back from his COVID break. Yeah, it's like important to remember like all the other Noah wrestlers that either caught COVID or were put in quarantine for like precaution, they're all back. It was a lot. Yeah, and it was a lot, and they're all back except for Ogawa. So really, hopefully, yeah, Ogawa's—he'll uh, be 56 this year. So you know, best wishes to him on a speedy recovery. And I'll say, I'm sure Noah will find some convoluted way to continue <laughs> the Hayata Ogawa story uh, going on this year. Yes, somehow this will end with Hayata and Ogawa turning on Susumu and Yoshioka. Exactly. Um, so we'll start at the top, like we did before. Uh, main event of the show. GHC national title, Masakatsu Funaki defeated Keno, the champion, in three minutes and 58 seconds with a sleeper hold. And this was, um, so Keno failed on his fourth defense of the title, and Funaki now becomes the eighth national champion. Um, I thought, I thought this was disappointing. I didn't expect a long match going in, but I thought this would be a little more like they're going to kick the shit out of each other real quick. And then like, you know, all of a sudden Funaki's going to unload like some crazy high kick and knock Keno out. You know, the sort of model for the match that I was thinking of was the uh, Funaki versus Katsuhiko Nakajima match from the uh, semifinals of last year's N1. Uh, I thought that was really great. I think that one about seven or eight minutes. Now Nakajima won that, but you could have easily run a very similar match back like that where, you know, um, Funaki gets out of a move and then sort of like turns around and just delivers a knockout kick to Keno, sort of playing up also with all of the recent sort of knockout kicks that Keno's been getting victories with. But instead, we just got a sleeper hold in just under four minutes. Um, I don't know. I didn't really dig this that much. What do you think, Paul? 
I mean, it was something. <laughs> it, it was definitely very, very weird. Because uh, I, I kind of went in like I was spoiled on the outcome of the match. And I was also spoiled that it was a very short match. But yeah, I mean, as I said, I would have expected it to be like a bit more of like just a brawl kind of match and not just kind of Funaki just dominating Kano on the mat for like three minutes and then choking him out. Uh, it's yeah, I mean, the match was okay. And I mean, but I mean, I think the thing of note actually in this match is, or rather, the thing of note here isn't even the match itself, it's more the post match because Funaki was just like, oh yeah, I just went in and I just dominated this guy and then I just tapped him out like a bitch. You know what I should do? I should join his faction. <laughs> Which is a very, very curious decision where you're just like, oh yeah, no, like I can just easily beat this guy. I really want to closely work together with him going forward. And I really have the feeling that like this is going to end up with Keno getting cucked out of his own faction by Nakajima and Funaki. Like I especially had that feeling when Funaki and Nak and Nakajima shook hands. I'm like, this this is gonna end somehow with Kano getting kicked out of Congo by these two guys and them taking over. I agree with you. I think this is leading to cucked Kano, if you will, because um, it just seems like the you know it's too obvious with once Nakajima joined that there was going to be some sort of breakup angle. Also, I think that this is like well, Funaki left M's alliance to to join Congo. And you got to think uh, a certain uh, Keiji Muto announced that in 2022, he was aiming to win the national title. So I think uh, Funaki might get a token successful title defense or two, but then will be dropping the national title to Keiji Muto. What do you think about so, that theory? Yeah. So in that case, to like put on like a conspiracy head, I guess, what do you think that Keno just didn't want to lose to Muto? And that's why he dropped the title here to Funaki, and then Funaki can lose it to uh, to Muto. If that is the case, then my respect, which is also already very high for Keno, has gone up even another million percent. Because you know what, Keno? You're fucking right. You don't have to do the job <laughs> to Muto. Yeah. You shouldn't do the job to Muto. Look what it's done. No, instead he lost to Funaki in three minutes. <laughs> that's fine. That doesn't. That's not as yeah. not True. as damaging as losing Muto again. So Funaki, or like, losing Muto. Because I definitely like. Let's say like you get into a fight with someone. Like I definitely expect Funaki to be able to kick some. Like pretty much everyone's ass still, as opposed to Muto. Yeah, I mean, Funaki's gotten some, you know, big wins in the company and stuff like that and, and relatively protected, but he doesn't, like, they don't put him in matches that are going to expose his age either. They're all short. So, you know, there's that too. It's not like, you know, Keno's going to look like a geek for lying around while a, like, gassed Funaki rolls around on the mat <laughs> applying very weak-looking holds to him or anything like that. So, no. you know... You know, if this was, you know, sort of how some of the reasons that this all went down, then good for Keno. I actually have to say that the, the sleeper actually looked really good that he like tapped out on. Like because Funaki just did that little crank on the sleeper and then Keno just immediately tapped. Like I think that actually looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was fine and everything like that. It was like, you know, and Funaki is, I mean, he's old, but I mean, he, his, his like stuff still looks fairly credible, especially in short bursts. 
Um, so we'll move on to the second match from the top. Uh, M's Alliance team of Naomichi Marafuji and Masato Tanaka defeated the Segura Gun team of Takashi Segura and Kazu Kazushi Sakuraba in 20 minutes and 26 seconds when uh, Marafuji sort of like cradled uh, Sakuraba uh, after Sakuraba was like going for a super hole and everything like that. Uh, not surprising, like, don't most of, like, Sakuraba's matches end in, like, flash pins when he loses and stuff like that? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I thought this was fine. I mean, um, I generally like Sakuraba, although not always in longer matches. And, like, the other three are, are, are great. You know, I'm actually still a Marafuji defender even in 2022. And so, you know, I thought this was, like, might have been the second best match on the show, I think. What do you think, Paul? Um, yeah, I could not, I would, I don't think it was the second best match on the show for me, but I think it was, it was still pretty good. Um, I think though that Sakuraba for me in this match was kind of in t-shirt Naito mode where it was very clear that he wasn't really taking the match seriously because there is definitely a noticeable difference for Sakuraba in a match that he takes seriously and in a match that he doesn't Well, to be seriously. fair, Sakuraba did remove his shirt at one point in the match. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> But and then and then for some reason he let Marufuji chop his back and not his chest. That was a weird spot. I was, like, I'm not sure what that was all about. Like I guess maybe because like it hurt to get chopped on the chest, so he was like, "Nah, chop me on the back instead. That hurts less, I guess." Like I, I, like that was. Just... They did that before, I think, in um, when Sakuraba faced Marufuji for the GHC title last summer. The same sort of thing where they're like chopping and kicking each other in the back at one point. Okay, well, I guess then it was a good call back then. But I think otherwise, yeah, it was really, really good. Like, I think Tanaka and Segura was just, were just kind of really laying into each other. And I guess we're going to get another match between those two for the Zero One title. Like, it very much felt like they were going to, like, building back to that. And, yeah, I think Morofuji was solid as well. I, the match felt a little long to me, to be honest. Like, especially because it was just kind of a random, like, it was the semi-main, but it was also just kind of a random tag match with nothing really at stake as well. Uh, but I guess they made that match long to make up for the main event being so short. And it was still a good match overall. Yeah, I did think length uh, affected. Although, I mean, a second from a match, second from the top, no, a tag match being 20 minutes is certainly not out of place at all. Um, so we're going to the next match after that. We mentioned, and this was for, for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag team titles, uh, Saki Yoshioka and Yuya Susumu defeated Atsushi Katoge and Hajime Ohara in only seven minutes and 39 seconds. With a and Susumu got a cross face lock submission on Ohara, and uh, Yoshioka and Susumu become the 48th champions. Um, uh, where to begin? I will just say this made you know Katoge and Ohara look like chumps. You know, they can't really, I didn't think it was that great either. Despite some of the, I think three out of the four guys in this match are really good. Susumu is meh to me. Um, but, you know, Ohara and and Katoge get no love in the booking these days, which is probably in part why Katoge sort of spearheaded the whole and innovation thing to give a different sort of more reasonable and decent spotlight on the juniors. And so, but the rash of bad booking in the Noah Junior Division continued here, in my opinion. Really, I didn't really mind this match, to be honest. Like, I thought it was like a good, fast-paced match, and I actually would have liked it to see it 
go a little bit longer as well. So I, I thought it was fine. Like I think Susumu, like yeah, he's not great, but I think he did okay in the match. And I especially like kind of the uh, sequences between Yoshioka and Kotoge. Like those two had like an amazing, or not amazing, but like a really good singles match uh, at the start of the month. And I think they really showed their chemistry here again. And I, I think they could have built on that a little bit more. Like the match, like in this case here, yeah, the match felt a little bit short. Like I, I think they could have done a little bit more here as well. And what this result tells me as well is that like definitely whatever like the next title defense would have been like Hayata and Ogawa wouldn't have lost the bells there yet because them just putting it on another Stinger team just kind of tells me that they wanted to be the bells to be uh, with that faction for a little bit longer. But I think overall it was just, I think, I think overall like it was a good, like fast paced little match. Like it was fine. I think it was just the booking that sort of left a bad taste in my mouth and sort of brought it down like, you know, for me. But I, I will say though, like Yoshioka, I think he might be the most underrated member. Well, maybe along with how, but we'll get to that of the junior, the Noah junior division. He doesn't quite get as much respect as I think he should. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a big proponent of Seiki Yoshioka going all the way back to his Wrestle One days. I think he's really been like on another level since he turned heel and joined uh, Strong Hearts back in uh, Wrestle One. And he's just been a really great like junior heel since then. Just and he's kind of taken that into Noah now as well. And as a member of Stinger, like he's really like I, I was sad that he really only got like a transitionary reign with the junior title. Like I think he should be someone that like you can actually give a longer reign to, and just kind of have carry that promotion, or not that promotion, but like that division, uh, for a little bit. Like I think he's kind of earned it by just like putting in work like every single time he's out there. Absolutely, a longer Yoshioka Junior title reign would also give you a bunch of fresh matches. Yeah, yeah. So, moving on from there, we had the team of Goshi Ozaki, Masa Kitamiya, and Daisuke Harada defeated the Congo team of Katsuhiko Nakajima, Manabu Soya, and Aleha in 16 minutes and 54 seconds when Shiozaki pinned um, uh, Aleha with the Gawan Lariat. Uh, this, I think, uh, was the match of the show for me. I mean, can't go wrong with uh, these two teams. Everyone in it is great. Everyone looked ha worked hard. You know, it was really about sort of like Go trying to, you know, build himself back up after a couple of recent losses. And we'll talk about more about sort of the the Go uh, saga uh, coming out of the show and everything. It just I thought it set up everything going forward really well. Yeah, um, actually, this was the second best match on the show for me. The best match is actually still coming up. I'm actually uh, interested that that wasn't like that. But okay, yeah, we we're going to talk about that match later anyway. Um, so yeah, I, f I think it was a really good match. Kitamiya and Nakajima didn't really like interact with each other at all. No, but it sort of felt like after that match, the Kitamiya and Nakajima like story arc is over. Yeah. You know, Nakajima won convincingly. And so I think that, yeah, you know, they, they might resurrect that in the future and everything like that. That's something you could always go back to, given the amount of history between the two. But it just felt like that that particular rivalry is on ice for a while. Yeah, but they are one and one now, basically, with like, because Kitamiya took his hair and then Nakajima won the title match. But, I mean, yeah, maybe they're going to re revisit it online, but it was just kind of weird that there was just like nothing between those two. Like, like, it felt like they were like, 
moving Kitamiya over into a feud with Manabu Soya in a way, because I, those two like interacted a lot, whereas like Nakajima basically just gave like a look to Kitamiya. Like I'm not even sure they even phased off within the match at all. It was just like a little weird to me. But well, I, think I, I, it, yeah. I was going to say like Soya and Kitamiya could be a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I think it's something that they could do to sort of start rehabbing uh, Kitamiya. Yeah, no. I mean, but like otherwise, like it was pretty good. Like I actually, what I actually really liked was like the sequences between Harada and Nakajima. Like I think those two actually like showed like a lot of like good chemistry as well. So that was like, to me, that was like probably like the highlight of the match as well. But like Go didn't, like the one thing I would say maybe of the match is that Go didn't really do anything besides pin Aleja for the win. Like, because I was like thinking about the match and I was like, has Go actually done anything? Has he even like been in the match yet because he felt like kind of absent for most of the match and then he came in at the end and just won the match basically well yeah i think it's sort of to set him up as the conquering hero type thing but i thought it did most of the job that it was designed to do so we move on to the next match after this uh retells explodes oh, talk about the go challenge series oh yeah i guess we'll start there with the go challenge series so go basically put together this challenge series because that's going to run from, uh, what is it, February 9th, 10th, and 11th. Uh, Noah is doing three consecutive Cork and Hall shows on those days. And so on February 9th, it's Go versus Masato Tanaka, which should be fucking incredible. Um, and on February 10th, it will be Go versus Naomichi Marafuji. And on February 11th, it will be Go versus Keno. And basically, I think it's Go has to win all three, and then he's going to like declare that he wants to challenge for the GHC heavyweight title again. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, that's the thing, though. Uh, do we think that he's going to win all of those matches, or is he going to lose one of them? I think. I, mean, I would loses, assume that he's definitely going to win the first two. Yeah. If he loses, it'll be to Keno. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't. Like it doesn't. Like. I could definitely see him lose that match because it just feels, I mean, he could, I mean, it could just be like overthinking it, but it could just be that he just like announces this and then he just wins all the matches and challenges for the belt. But I could also see him like get tripped up along the way as well. And then kind of getting moved to the back of the line as well. Cause it, I mean, it would be kind of weird for him to challenge for the belt again this quickly after he just had the match uh, at the beginning of the year. So I could very much see them be like, oh, he got so close to actually challenging for the belt again. But now he kind of like needs to take a step back and like rebuild and then come back later in the year to challenge again. If he does win all three matches and challenges again, I think he's got a very high chance of winning the title again. Yeah. Because it seems the way that they're still presenting Go is that like he's still sort of like the ace. Yeah. You know? no. So, But I mean, to me, Nakajima being champion is kind of a key part of like the whole like Congo storyline as well because now that like Keno has lost like the national title and uh, Nakajima is still like the heavyweight title like that can just like escalate attention a bit more whereas I don't know if you can do that if neither of them are champions yeah I agree and I, I think really what they should do is keep it on Nakajima for a while I yeah. think that would be the ideal scenario Okay, so we'll move on. Yeah, like I said before I got overexcited because of the people involved clearly. Uh, Rattel's <laughs> explodes Hayata Again. defeated Yohei in 13 minutes, 24 seconds with like a modified arm lock. Um, I think 
listeners uh, who may not be familiar with some of the statements that I have written and said before on other podcasts, I think Hayata is one of the worst wrestlers in a major Japanese company and is overpushed in pro wrestling Noah. I'm not Yohei's biggest fan either, but I don't think he's nearly as bad. And sometimes I can even enjoy him. Uh, I will say here, this wasn't that bad, but it's nothing that I would ever sit down to watch again. Uh, Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I'm also not really sure why this match even happened, to be honest. Like, it was, it was it seemed like kind of a random match to put on the card. I guess he needed something for Hayat, like, Hayata needed something to do on the card. And since like the other Stinger guys were already in a title match, he just like, they just like put him here in a singles match. Uh, it, it wasn't as bad as I would have expected it, but it, yeah, I mean, as I said, like it's nothing really to write home about. Like I thought this told like a good basic story where like Hayata worked over Yohei's arm and then he won with the arm lock. So like that all make perfect sense. Uh, yeah, just otherwise just, kind of a match that just existed on the card, basically. Yeah, I, I think also this match sort of proves that Hayat is going to continue to be like a player at the top of the junior division yeah. for the next I mean, little while. Yeah. You know, I yeah, guess he you can sigh like, here. Everyone can sigh about that and whatever. But yeah, he's not going he anywhere, popular. I don't think. Like, I mean, he definitely has fans. Like, because I've noticed that, for example, like whenever they like have merch and everything, they generally tend to have like Hayat in there with like the other top guys as like presenting merch and everything. So it definitely seems that like there is money to be made with Hayata. It's just it would be better if he was any good in the ring and not just like Hayata. <laughs> Do you think there's the Japanese equivalent of Sasha stands in Hayata stands that Absolutely. get angry whenever someone says something bad about Hayata? I mean, you don't. I mean, you, you probably have them amongst the Japanese fans. We already have them amongst like non-Japanese Noah fans. That are basically Hayata stands that get angry if you criticize Hayata. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed a little bit of it, but that's not something that I uh, get uh, in, too involved in, or I would probably be driven crazy. <laughs> so the next match is we have uh, Funky Express, King Tani and Mohamed Yone uh, defeated uh, Nosawa, Rangai, and Kotaro Suzuki of Perils del Mal de Japon in nine minutes and 31 seconds with a funky press from Tani on Nosawa. Uh, it's the sort of the old guy match. I don't really think of Rangai and Suzuki as old guys, but they're both over 40 as well. And, you know, I mean, it's what I was expected. Again, nothing great, nothing bad, but just your sort of like second on the card Noah old guy match. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, don't really have all that much to add to that. Like it was just a very much like a typical like Funky Express kind of undercard tag match. I think Suzuki and Nasawa did like a really good job kind of bumping around for the uh, two heavyweights and making them look pretty good. And yeah, just a very inoffensive, good kind of enjoyable uh, undercard tag match. And I'll say to listeners that may have not read what I've written before when reviewing Noah's shows, I personally think that uh, King Tani, a.k.a. Shuhei Taniguchi, a.k.a. Maybach Taniguchi. I think he was downcycled into the comedy role a little too prematurely because he was going on a, a pretty really fun run at just as plain old Shuhei Taniguchi in the mid-card where he would just have these like sort of like crazy stiff, hard-hitting matches. He would lose most of them and everything, but he was like fun and like 
the, the couple of N1s and global leagues that he had been in the last couple of years. So I just think, I mean, I know he's like, I think he's turning 45 or 45 now. I think though that it was just a little premature to sort of- I mean, of this is Noah. There's people that are like way older than him, yeah, that are exactly. way further up the card. Like, yeah. this is definitely like an, for Noah, for like Noah's standards, this is like fit like ten years too early to like downcycle him to this role. Like, I actually remember, I think it was two years ago, uh, where he had like actually we had a really good match with Muto. Actually, oh, I don't remember that one. I was thinking of uh, well, to me, the one that I always think of is, and I'm not really a big. Kazuyuki Fujita fan, but that Fujita versus Taniguchi match, I think it was from Sumo Hall in November, October 2019. That was fucking awesome, just like stiffing each other. Yeah, that was basically the Muto match as well, where like him and Muto, like they just stiffed each other for like eight minutes or so. I mean, Muto won, obviously, uh, but like it, it was pretty good. Like it was a really nice, like, like stiff sprint that they did there. Okay, and the opening of the show was uh sort of you know uh how versus neo getting each other after uh, how left uh congo they went to a 20 minute draw and, and um i thought this was great you know i think i'll go with this the second best match of the show over the sort of tag from the second from the top this is really heated uh they were really stiffing each other here on a, in a style on a level that you don't necessarily usually see with the nowhere nowhere juniors um my only critique of this is why maybe I might not be as high on it as you is I actually would be a bit of a Neo defender. I've been watching him since his like very early K dojo days, but I just don't think he can go in a 20 minute single match in 2022. But other than that, I mean, this was really heated and there's a good way to kick off the feud. What do you think, Paul? Yeah. To me, this was like, no doubt the best match on the show. Like, uh, I thought this was really, really good. This is like, and this is also something that you don't really often get out of an opening match in a Japanese promotion. Like, it is a bit more common uh, in the West to have like a hot opening match or to have like an opening match with like a lot of stakes as well. Like, I mean, we kind of got the match with stakes on the All Japan show, but it was like nowhere near this good in terms of quality. Like, I thought this was really, really good. As I said, this was super stiff. This felt like a fight, this felt personal. Because these two guys were like teaming as like the, the Congo Juniors, and I think out of all of the kind of Noah Junior factions, the Congo Juniors had been like the most stable. Like while everyone else was just like turning on each other constantly, nonstop, and like forming new factions, they would then fall apart like immediately. Like just who can forget like the like rise and demise of full throttle in like a span of like what five months? Less than that, I guess. Like. In the meantime, like the yeah, Congo full throttle juniors. was here for a cup of coffee. It was really yeah, cool. yeah, and like and through all of that, like the Congo Juniors were like the kind of the the rock in the storm, basically. Like it was Tadasuke, it was How, it was Neo, and like they were tied, they were teaming with each other, there were no issues, and they were just like together. And then How just kind of goes, and it's just like you know what? Actually, I just want to strike out on my own, and I can kind of see where like you've been like together for this long and then this guy just kind of leaves but like the other guys would be kind of pissed so like it, this really came out here and i would actually have to say that this is probably the best neo ma singles match that i've seen because he's also not really a guy that gets put in singles matches all that often but i definitely would say that this is like the best performance i've seen out of him like yeah 20 minutes was a bit long 
but like I think he's still like he did really really well and like like I said they just really laid it into each other it felt personal it felt like a fight like it had emotion to it like it, I really really like this match like I don't think like I'm not gonna put stars in the but it's also just below that for me like I actually ended up really liking it and I actually enjoyed the post match as well yeah, I mean, I think if nothing else, it's a good like way to set up the feud because I think this is probably going to last a while then if you're going to a, a draw on the first match. so And I bet you any subsequent matches will probably be a little higher up on the card. But this yeah. is a little good introduction to the feud. No. Yeah. Um, then after the match, we had Tadasuke come out and attack Hao in the post-match. And I mean, what I'm interested in is like, do you think Hao might be like joining kind of this like loose group that has kind of formed around uh, the Momonosation tag. Yeah, probably. I mean, there's nowhere else to go with except for around like Otoge and Harada and Ohara. It really is there. Yeah, no, that's kind of the only face junior stable now that I think about it. Like, all everyone else is... A, <laughs> there's a lot of heels in that Noah junior uh, division. There's not a lot Again, of yeah. Yeah, that's just booking themselves into a corner. It's ridiculous. But yeah, that's really only way place I see them. Uh, but that that works because that gives you sort of like an, uh, a decent little face team there with M Momo, no shit on tag. So yeah, I think that he, how works in there for sure. And so that was a show. Interesting to note, um, there's no Mudo on the show. But, I mean, he doesn't work every show. But they had Kaido Kiyomiya not on the show. And it's not that he was off the show due to COVID protocol, but he was on commentary. Do you read any, anything into that? Or do you think it's just, like, whatever? Well, very clearly what happened here is that <laughs> Kazuchika Okada rainmakered uh, Kiyomiya so hard that he retired and became a commentator. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't really read all that much into it. Um, I guess maybe they're selling it a little bit that he like lost against uh, against Okada, but I mean, it's also like it's not like he's doing anything at the moment. So like, it, and it was still like a little bit of like a secondary show. So I do kind of like that. Maybe it might be good to like keep him off the show a little bit as well, and then put him back in when you actually have something for him to do as well. Like maybe he's going to like go and reform kind of his team with Inamura uh, or with Kitamiya. Like we'll see. Like I, I'm still confident that like they're going to do something with him. Like, and I could actually see him be first to be like challenging for the GHC title before Go does as well. Yeah, and I think he'll be back soon because Noah's got quite a few shows in February, so they got to put him on the card. Because um, I think he is a big draw is not the way I'd, I'd describe him, but he has, you can see in the crowd, he's got his fans. So you're, given the amount of Korkins they're about to run, they're going to want him on those shows. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I am, I am still not fully convinced, though, that, like, this current regime actually sees him as, like, the next ace because they haven't really done anything that would, like... Like, they clearly see him as someone that is going to be, like, a key part of the promotion, but I don't think they see him as, like, this guy that is going to be, like, running things the way maybe, like, previous regimes have seen him, seen him as. Well, without getting into a big discussion about this, you know, I saw some people talking about how great the Noah roster is, and I absolutely agree with them, but... 
if you scratch a little deeper, apart from all of the top guys that are currently top guys, and I will throw Kaito in that mix, they're all in his, Kaito's like 25, obviously. The other guys are now getting all into their mid 30s. Below Kaito, the only people that I can see that have main event futures in Noah are um, obviously Yoshiki Inamura, who could be huge. And the only other one is maybe Kenya Okada, because all the other young guys are juniors for sure, like your Junta Miyawakis and your Yasutaku Yanos and Kai Fujimoras. So if you sort of go below Kaito, you start to get a little thinner when it comes to looking towards the future. Yeah, and I mean, even with Okada, the thing is that he is a bit older than people think as well, because... Well, yeah, him and Inamura are both 28-29, and it's like... So, like, like, Inamura is, like, well on his way to, like, becoming a main eventer, but Inamura is still, like, in, like, opening match job duties, so, like, if you actually, like, want to do something substantial with him, you actually have to start, like, giving him wins and, like, booking him and something more meaningful, like, now, because... Again, like Noah generally likes its long builds and Japanese promotion in general like their long builds. Like I don't really foresee them like just like rocket pushing him to the moon, basically. Like if you want to build slowly build him up to like get to that top level, then you kinda need to start doing that now. Uh say what you will about all Japan, but at least they're doing stuff with guys still in their twenties. Yeah. Which is something that I'd never thought I'd say, but I guess they've sort of been forced into that for better or for worse. And I think it's been actually going well uh, for them so far. And I yeah. think Noam should probably look, be looking at that too. I could very well see Yuma Iyagi winning the Triple Crown this year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I tend to lean that that Yuma versus Kento might be the Budokan main event. Yep, no, that, that is my guess as well. No, the only other alternative is if it, it's, it's Kento versus an outsider, a big name, like a big name outsider. But I, I put... So for me, it's like 60-40, 60% Yuma versus Kento, 40%, maybe a little less that it's going to be a big name outsider. But who could they bring in for that, basically? That's what I'm thinking. Because outsider would still have to be someone like from Japan, basically. Like It's not like they could really bring someone in from like DOS. I mean, I, we don't really know what the... Even if the borders were open, there's point. like a very small list of people that... Yeah. You pack the Budokan in like that that was like a foreigner against Kento on the hill, like Brian Danielson or something right you know <laughs> oh, that's, not, that's not gonna happen that's not gonna happen <laughs> so, like you know but like picking like I don't know like Joe Doring and something like that's not gonna work and you know I mean Joe Doring from like four years ago yes <laughs> yeah um but even that match has been done to death yeah, it just hasn't been done in a couple of years now because he's been gone. So yeah, I don't know where that's going. But that's just sort of like my gut feeling, given where everything is looking, and like the fact that they kept Yuma out of that tournament for a reason. Gerard, Gerard, we're yeah. ignoring the very obvious big name foreigner they could bring in to challenge Kento for the title. Is this certain? He can finally get his deserved title match. He's pinned him so many times, and he's never gotten his title match. He's earned it so many times over. You know who I'm talking about. The multi-Superman, hashtag yes. justice for Gianni. Exactly. The multi-Superman and Lucha superstar as well. Gianni Valletta. He needs to come back and challenge him at the Budokan. I'm sure that'll sell it out. No, but I mean, regardless of joking, like I don't want that to be the fucking 50th anniversary main event for all Japan. Uh, but 
Like, well, I mean, it would be brings Gianni back. He actually should get a title shot. It would like, be on brand like to like just go with the Bruiser Brody knockoff in the All Japan main event. <laughs> um, one thing we didn't mention with Noah upcoming, uh, also with that Go series, is I don't think it's technically part of the Go trial series, but on uh, January twenty seventh, yet another Corican Hall Noah show, and that show's got uh, Segura versus Go in the what I think is going to be the main event of that show. So I don't know if this is all tied into that or not. Uh, I could see that happen. Yeah. Uh, I would assume Go wins this if he still has to go through the trial series. I mean, yeah, because you don't want to beat him while he's in his trial series if that is supposed to like build him. Yeah, it's just this is all weird out, laid out real weird. Um, and like a lot of cards for both all japan and no have been released for february uh but a lot of them will be happening not until after our next recording so we're not going to go too big into everything announced except for obviously um in february um we've got uh on the cork and hall and that is on uh february 23rd uh we've got uh kento miyahara versus abdullah kobayashi for the Triple Crown, not exactly the most dynamic match, but at this point I've made peace with it because I knew it was coming because that's the match that Jake Lee was going to have on January 2nd. And frankly, I think Kento can pull a better match out of Abdullah than Jake probably could have. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that also very much like tells me that, I mean, obviously Jake wasn't going to lose to uh, to Abby. Thank God. Yeah, the, but I mean, in, I mean, they are pretty much just kind of holding course there, I guess, because now they just, they really want to do that match. So now they're going to do it. And I'm kind of curious. He's going to challenge Kento afterwards. Um, because I mean, that is like, I'm, I'm happy that the belt is back on Kento, but I am kind of curious how they're going so to book. This after after forward. the next February Corkin, you have to think that the next big show is the Oda Ward gym show in March. Yeah. So, which is why I think it's Jake. That's my yeah. guess. I mean, in that case, do you think that Kento would have beaten him? Like, would that have been the match for the Ultra Watch show anyway? And would have Kento beaten him there? I I thought about that because I can't I can see Jake. And not the saying that this company wouldn't do this, but I couldn't see Jake lasting all the way to September with that title. Yeah, I really couldn't have. And I guess maybe yeah. You, I mean, obviously you want Kento involved in that main event somehow, either as a challenger or yeah. as the champion. Yeah. So, and I'm not sure which draws more if he's announced as being on the show as the champion or if he's announced as being on the show uh, as the challenger. But I mean, now they're going to try and have him on there as champion, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And the only, and, and on that show at um, Corrigan Hall is also the world tag title match uh, Kumadoi, Koji Doi and Kumarashi versus Runaway Suplex. So that should be pretty good. I mean, uh, I, I'm on record as having loved the uh, Real World Tag League final. So, uh, and so, uh, but one show that will happen before we record again will be the March 5th uh, show at uh, Osaka Ediana Arena number two. Um, I think that one of the most interesting notes of the show is that we get our first taste of Osaka Pro versus All Japan because on the show, is 
the All Japan team of Shuji Ishikawa, Takao Mori, and Ryo Inoue versus Zeus, the body ga, and Kazuaki Mihara, who I believe is the Osaka Pro Openweight Champion right now. Uh, and uh, you can probably tell that Inoue is going to be losing that match. But that's cool, sort of have, you know, start Osaka Pro versus All Japan and Osaka getting their first big win because I think that will uh, hopefully be something um, that we see a lot more of in 2022. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, while we are going to focus the podcast mainly on All Japan and NOAA, we are actually going to kind of dip into other promotions as well for kind of, no, for like kind of big shows or kind of stuff that interests us, basically. And I think it might actually be worth us kind of looking into that uh, Osaka Pro uh, first show as well, whenever it actually happens, since it got postponed recently. Well, I think the one that got postponed was actually like this party that you could have gone to. So if you wanted to go get drunk with Billy Ken Kid, uh, you missed your chance. Because I was reading and the tickets are like uh, 10,000 yen, I think. And it was like meal and all you can drink and stuff like that. So it didn't quite seem like a pro wrestling show but i think it's they have three back-to-back -back shows in during golden week in april and that's going to be sort of the relaunch look and i'm a proud owner of an ultimate spider junior t-shirt it's probably like me and like five other people in the world i guess well he i would a... definitely pass up an opportunity to go drinking with him oh absolutely i'm sure those guys would be crazy a lot of fun uh so yeah if those are soccer pro shows during golden week are easily accessible we definitely should review them and um, also on that show is uh, Sugi, I think we mentioned this, Sugi versus Andy Wu. And uh, interestingly enough, there are two world tag title match previews. Uh, so, and they're both singles matches. So it'll be Shitaro Washino versus Koji Doi and Suwama versus Kuma Arashi, which is interesting because I don't think Kuma Doi are winning the tag titles, but do you think they're going to do jobs in both of those singles matches? I mean, it is Suwama. So, well, here's the thing: if anyone's gonna, if well, yeah, anyone's but, gonna, it's gonna be Ashino. It's not gonna be Suwama. Uh, look, Ashino doing a job to Koji Doi, who has been booked as a jobber in this company, outside of the occasional <laughs> tag match, does not look good. Yeah, I mean, in that case, I will have a little bit less faith. But like, they signed him now, so yeah, this yeah. Again, that would just be a stupid investment when you sign a guy and you just do that to him right yeah, regardless of joy, like. yeah exactly um so that's it on the front of stuff that's going to be happening before we record again just the big sugiera versus go and then that all japan show in osaka although i should really stress cards subject to change because we are now living right in the smack dab in the middle things might be peaking uh have already peaked here where i am and where you are paul i don't know but uh, I think in Japan, the Omicron is just about to hit its peak or, you know, or is peaking now. Uh, so, you know, New Japan got hit and have canceled all of their shows for the remainder of the month. And, you know, obviously Noah got hit and a bunch of wrestlers have missed uh, due to COVID. So um, that all of these shows will go off. How they're announced is completely up in the air. Yeah. I mean, New Japan just canceled a bunch of shows today. So... Yeah, so we, it's we, gonna we get. Uh, I'm getting to the point where I think that if someone, especially like a 25 or a 35 year old wrestler, gets COVID, don't vacate the damn titles if they're a champion. 
Yeah. Because it's screwing up the booking too much. If you, if you're going to just vacate everyone that has COVID, I get it with Ogawa because he probably got hit hard, you know, and I get the vacating of Suwama because he wouldn't have been able to be back when he caught COVID in time for that show. But if someone gets COVID and they're a tag champ and they're back in a week, don't do it. You're just yeah. causing yourself more grief. And I know that sort of goes against Japanese tradition because yeah. people have vacated titles because they got the flu. I think that yeah, happened that, to Togi Makabe that, once. That's what I was thinking of where Togi Makabe vacated a never title a couple of years back because he had the flu. I think a couple of years back. It's like 10 years ago at this point now or something oh, like that. It was a long time ago now that if you actually look at it, it was it was not recently. But yeah, I know that's sort of the tradition. Like, you know, more recently, Mox, John Moxley had to vacate the U.S. title because he because his flight got canceled because there was a typhoon hitting uh, Japan. You know, I, I think I think under these conditions, although, you know, obviously Japanese promotions are resistant, you know, keep historical practices, you know, a lot of the time. But I would say just for the sake of everyone's sanity and trying to sit who are sitting in the booking room trying to come up with stuff, you know, you can postpone things a week or, and, and stuff like that. So hopefully, but, you know, I have a bad feeling someone's going to have to yeah, vacate a title. I wouldn't be uh, uh, holding my breath there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So hopefully not, but hopefully everyone, you know, is fine. And, and well, everyone's so far, except for the Ogawa thing has, has recovered who's got it. So that's good to know. Right. Because I think the Japanese vaccine vaccination rates are, are pretty high now. Yeah. I mean, so the only good. thing I would be worried about is like, if it hits like, since it is a Noah, if it hits anti-vax gun. So <laughs> Well, yeah, anti-vax gun who also had a member that has had open heart surgery before, yes. uh, you know, so, uh, you know, but so not to think about uh, something that I don't want to think about. Although it's like, you know, Takashi Sugiera seems like the guy that somehow would not catch a virus like that. I don't know, but you never know. Yeah. Anyway, I, mean, I think that's everything, unless there's anything else you can think of. Uh, no, nothing really yet. So just plug the pluggables. Okay, so, well, first of all, thank you so much for tuning into our very first show. Uh, we have an account for the show on Twitter at Emerald Flow Show, all one word. So you can follow us there and we'll be, uh, you know, rolling out more stuff, social media stuff and everything. And so, and we'll be recording roughly every other week, bi-weekly. So you can catch us in about two weeks time. So I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. And Paul, do you have any goodbyes to say? Uh, not much. Just have a good week. Don't let the rest of January get you down. And things are going to look much better in February, hopefully. And hey, even if it isn't, February is the shortest month. So if you're already in the working world, you're going to get paid a lot quicker in February than your other months. And then after that, we're already in March. And then the weather's definitely going to get better. So we all got stuff to look forward to. Those are some great words to live by. So for Paul Walsh, I'm Gerard Trello, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.